I think tracking is one of the most important parts of blogging and being a business owner because you can't improve what you don't track. And when you track it, if you're meeting the goal that you set or if you're falling below it, it's like a basketball game. We know who's winning because there's a scoreboard. Hello and welcome to the Simple and Smart SEO Show, where we provide tips and advice to improve your website's search engine ranking. I am Brittany Herzberg, SEO copywriter for holistic health and wellness pros who want to show up as the answer to a Googled question. And I'm Krista Waddell, an e-commerce seller and content creator. I help business owners communicate the value of their products and services through content so you can make more sales and grow your business. We are business besties who love learning and sharing what we've learned. So what are we waiting for? Let's jump in. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Simple and Smart SEO Show podcast. My name is Crystal Waddell. I'm here with my lovely co-host, Brittany Herzberg, and our wonderful guest of the day, and that is Holly Weidman. Bravo. Stoked to have you. So Holly, yes. do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll jump into the conversation? Yes. SEO was something that I have enjoyed over the years for about 20 years or so. I did photography, did all the things, built my own website, did my own blog, did my own social media and just had fun with it. And I love the marketing piece and the SEO that came with it. And then 2020 hit and I said, don't think I'm doing any in-person photography, at least through the summer. And so I just evaluated what I've done in the past and what I could continue to do in a virtual setting and realized I was already helping a friend of mine do SEO and blogging behind the scenes for her business. And I said, that's something that I can do from home more of. And I just jumped into Facebook groups to find other business owners and just started making connections and it really took off. And then I niched down into the SEO corner of it because I really enjoyed being able to research those keywords and help business owners be found on Google for what they do and have traffic coming in organically to them and it's it really took off it, it's been a journey that I've really enjoyed and it's been great to to meet so many unique and talented business owners around the world that have really enjoyed what they're doing for their businesses with that yeah so how have you met them just because you shared the same hashtags or how did that happen? <laughs> it was all through Facebook groups. I really I tried to think through who I would be serving with what I could offer. And so I just thought through where would these business owners be hanging out in Facebook groups and just started putting myself out there, answering questions in those groups where I could, being thorough with my answers, not just one or two lines here or there and adding as much to the conversation in value as I could. And then in some groups, you're not allowed to say, this is what I do. Here's my link. <laughs> but people figure it out as you're yeah. answering more and more questions. I do have my own website and I do use Instagram, but I think overall, I've only actually reached a new client through Instagram once. Everything else has come through Facebook groups. 
and the connections that you make from those groups. It's really, it's the online world. Sometimes you feel like I'm the only one and behind my computer doing this. Really translating those networking, in-person networking skills into the online world and getting to know somebody and then, hey, you want to jump on a Zoom and let's get to know each other better. That's a new networking tool for business owners and you're still working with people. And that's really where it's grown is through that online networking and just treating each individual as a business owner and a friend is where it's grown from. That's such a good thing. And I know that's really important to Crystal and I is that was one one of the bonding things for us is that I know Crystal felt very alone. I'm just like constantly making friends in the online world, probably because of the fact that I don't want to feel alone, but I also don't want other people to feel alone. So that was another huge inspiration for the podcast too. So I'm glad to hear that. I love asking all of our guests how they define SEO. It's how people find you when they type in a search for a problem. I've been asked that several times too, because it's like, it's an acronym, but what does it really mean? Every time you pick up your phone with a question and you type something in, that's being found through search engine optimization. Now, on the flip side, as a business owner, you're strategically trying to place your posts and your blogs in a position to outrank someone else on that search page. There's 93 million searches every single day on Google and social media or Google and SEO platforms. And so it can seem overwhelming at first, but when you really begin to work with the strategy, you know who you're competing against. And it's really those top 10 posts for a given search. And so once you narrow it down from millions and millions to, okay, these are the 10 people that I'm up against, it really becomes much more manageable and easier to do. Yeah, I think that's so funny because I have a client that I'm writing for. And one of the things that I was doing is, okay, which person or which number on the list on that search engine results page are we trying to take over? And so it's like kind of fun because you're putting a bullseye on somebody and it makes it tangible. Okay, this is the target. And that it's a bold move on my part because it's very clear if we fail, like what happens. (laughs) But it's also fun because it's now we're hunting. The game is on. And I felt like after I did that, just a couple of weeks later, she sent me an email and said, hey, I found this person. I think they kind of align with what I do. I think this could be a competitor because when I first asked, who are your competitors? It's kind of like, I don't really know. I'm not really looking around, that type of thing. And come to find out, it was one of the people on that list. So it was just (laughs) very fun. Yes, And it's interesting to see as you do it, I don't know. Most people want to start with SEMrush and AREFs and all these search tools. But what I have found to be most instructional, I think, is actually being able to study Google itself and the different results and learning what what is going to come up. And now I do it and somebody will throw out a term and I'm like, okay, it's going to be this, and this is going to show up on your page, and this is going to show up on your page, and this is who you're competing against. And once you get to that stage of understanding what results Google is going to put out, it 
it makes it so much easier to craft a post that fits that. So I feel like that's almost a piece that's missing in a lot of trainings. It's like you need to understand Google and how they're going to present your content first, then jump into a tool that's going to help you with some of that research and stuff on the back end. Once I find a keyword or considering one, I'm popping it into Google to verify, am I right on my assumptions here? And does it need a list? Is it going to be images? Is it going to be a how-to video? There's certain type of searches that Google has evaluated and said, no, this is how it needs to be presented to them. And once you know that, then it's easier to craft a well-written blog post because you add in all those features that they need. Yeah, I want to just second what you said about Google being like your favorite thing. I know I did the hand raising thing because I was like, I am going to pounce on this computer. (laughs) Yesterday, just yesterday, one of my friends was asking me and actually in the Instagram DMs, what tools do you use for SEO research? And I was like, well, I do use Ubersuggest. I do use keywords everywhere. But really, actually, it was on a podcast interview. Really, I just love using the Google results page. And they were like, what, really? And I was like, yeah, here, let's talk about it. So I'm curious because I heard you talking about how you can figure out what Google favors for those different key phrases. One, how are you figuring that out? And two, do you have any tips about when you're just looking at the Google results page, what people can pay attention to, maybe what we're missing? Just putting it in and looking and seeing what kind of results are given. Do you have ads at the top? Right there, it signals to me that it's probably a more competitive keyword because someone is paying to show up first, and that means there's money behind that search term. So your competition is already higher there. How many ads are there? And then is the first result a YouTube video? More often than not, it's a visual content that they want to present. So they will give you YouTube videos. If it's an organic, just regular hyperlink, blue link, you click on it. More often than not, those are blog posts. And so you can oftentimes have an easier chance of getting your blog post found on those because it's not serving up video first or a list post or whatever. There's like probably 20 or 30 different kinds of presentations that they will give you. Sometimes it will come up with a snippet. So it like gives them the answer. And oftentimes you, you need to read through, you know, what that snippet is that they're already offering. Because if Google is giving them like almost the entire answer, they've satisfied what's the largest cat breed. They're probably not going to click into that, even that spot number one, because the reader has already gotten their information. So then you can evaluate, say, you know what, it's not worth my time to write this whole long blog post and try and outrank this spot number one, because even if I am in spot number one, it's probably not going to translate to a lot of clicks because the reader already has what they need. They're done. They're gone. They're on the way. So just training yourself even just to be aware of, hey, am I seeing similar things and realizing, okay, this is a how-to post. It needs a video. 
this is what they're looking for. This is a list of posts, best of best organizing apps or something. It's a list. You start to see those common themes. So just telling yourself to start looking at the Google results and categorizing them, you'll start to see more and more of those patterns coming up. I love it. Okay, so I have a two-parter. So the first thing is I heard a statistic the other day. It said something about there's a significant percentage of searches that have a zero search volume, meaning that they've never been searched before. So I always thought search volume was pretty important But I also know that search intent, which is what you're talking about, is also very important and really outranks search volume. So I wondered what you thought about that. And let me let you answer that first, and then I'll do the second question. Yeah. It depends on, I think that's SEO's favorite word. It depends. (laughs) Aaron. Aaron, I know I thought of Aaron too. (laughs) On what your website goals are. Now, I work with Ad Thrive and Mediavine bloggers. Their main goal is traffic, number one. We just want traffic. So if I'm looking at a keyword for them, which has a really low search volume, as in 10 people a month are actually searching for this answer, it's not something that's worth our time to create content around. Unless it's part of a broader main topic. Say they all, they write all about organizing and it's one question about organizing kitchen drawers. They may want that piece on their blog simply to say, this is part of everything that I talk about. If Google wants anything to do with kitchen organizing, it's on my site. You may want it for that. But if you're simply working for your own small business and you're going after keywords that actually have a significant volume to them so that a percentage will come to your site, that keyword volume is important. Um, Usually the statistics are position one gets about 30% of the clicks and then believe it position two drops 15% and then on down the list. So I do recommend going after keywords with larger volume because the percentage of how much you'll get out of that is really important. If you're getting 3% out of 10 clicks or you're getting 3% out of a thousand clicks, that's a major difference in traffic potential for your site. So I do watch that volume and how much is there. Okay, so the second part is, have you guys noticed that on the Google search results page, it's like there's no page two or three or four? Like the infinite scroll. Yeah, okay, infinite scroll. Ooh, that's a cool, fun word there. I want to put that on a t-shirt. I'm actually seeing both. I've seen some where I'll click in it and it has the pages, two, three, four, whatever. And then I've seen some where it's the infinite scroll. And now I'm going to have to pay attention if it's certain keywords, if it's certain platforms that I'm on. But yeah, I think part of it is it's still rolling out like it mm-hmm. is a newer feature that they've added. But still, like if you're working with an Uber suggest or something and they say page two, it's still within 11 to 20. And that's where it falls in your results, even though there's not page two technically. In so why infinite scroll? Do you know what's the reasoning behind that? Facebook is infinite scroll and people stay yeah. on form longer. Same thing. It's. There's a mental 
trigger, oh, I have to go to page two. Whereas you might keep scrolling further down if you don't have to do that. So they're staying on Google longer. It's easier and they can just keep loading them. So I want to go back to what you were talking about, the first question that Crystal had. And you were talking about you like going for bigger keywords. And a question that we get all the time is like, what amount, what search volume Mm -hmm. should I be looking for? Do you have any advice for anyone listening who's, I want to know how many, what volume to look for? It depends on what stage of the game you're in, in your business. Mm -hmm. If you are just starting out and time is limited and you're trying to get content and trying to rank, my suggestion would be to, to look at your categories. Think of them like the pillars of your building. Like your blog is your foundation, but then you're going to have these pillars of content. So if you're writing about organization, you're going to want a call it your pillar post that is how to organize. And you're going to put everything that you've learned about organizing in an outline and you're going to talk about it. And That is going to be the post that you will update every six months, every year. And that's going to grow from a thousand words to 2000 words to eventually that may be your 5000 word post. It's got all your good ideas and tips and tricks, but it's everything. And then the next one may be on decluttering. And that's another part of your pillar content that's writing. Those are going to be your huge keywords, one or two keywords. One or two letter words in a keyword phrase is always going to be your larger topic. So those are going to be huge volume. You're not going to necessarily rank for those because you're new, but you want Google to understand this is who I am. Like if you're going to, if I'm writing content, it's all going to be around these things. So get those big pillar posts in place on your website and then you can begin working on smaller keywords to start being found and being the one that Google does use. Because if it's smaller keyword, chances are it's not been written on as much and you have an easier chance of starting to get traffic to those. So you want to that graph to start going up by your little keywords. And then over time, your pillar post with 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 words are going to pick up a lot of that wording, nouns, verbs around the topic, and Google's going to see that and attribute it to you. I also want to let you know that my free three-day challenge is back. So if you want to join the Supercharger SEO three-day challenge, it is June 4th, 5th, and 6th, and you can register for free at crystalwidell.com forward slash supercharge. So hope to see inside the challenge. Yeah, I like that because that's what I've had conversations with different people about. It's no longer just about keywords or winning a specific keyword. It's really demonstrating topical authority. So I like how you describe that and how to not only that you need that on your website, but how to create it. So what do you think in terms of pillar posts? How many would you suggest that you have or is it a pillar post per topic that you want to be an authority on? Is that what we're talking about here? In the industry that you're in, there's usually main pain points that you're talking about. If I'm working on organizing, I have to learn about decluttering. I need to learn about systems. I need to learn about what kind of things do I use 
used to do it. Bins, boxes, crayons, whatever. And you just really do need to think through what am I always going to be talking about in some fashion or form and keep it pretty, pretty simple. I really suggest like five to seven at the most. This is what I'm going to talk about. And part of the reason why I say that is I was watching a YouTube video and I was talking about how now we are learning about how the AI models work for organizing information in search engines and stuff. And it was so interesting because you had all these hundreds and hundreds, thousands of dots on the screen representing parts of information. And algorithms organize all of those information. So think of like your kids take your their Lego box and they spread them all out over the floor. There's colors everywhere. But then it starts to arrange them in all of the red Legos go over here in this pile. All of the blue goes over here in this pile. And those are your topics. It starts to group information, like information with like information. If you're talking about organizing, it expects to find words in your content, like drawers, labels, kitchen, decluttering, like all of those words, it's going to say, okay, these go together. These entities go together. These nouns go together. And it puts them in piles. And so that's why more and more bloggers are becoming niche bloggers because Google puts all that information into a little pile. And the more concise your pile of information can be, the more it sees you as the authority on talking about this topic because you've got all the Lego pieces in one pile that talk about organization. And so it sees you as that authority. And that visualness of it, I I love because I'm like, yes, that makes sense to me. I love organizing things in that way. Why would it not as a program? Like it is trained to group things together. So it just, it makes sense that we should be doing that to start with, you know? Yeah. Would you recommend, because this is another question I've at least heard a lot for the pillar content posts, do you recommend writing them as blog posts on your blog or having them as web pages? I've heard both. It would probably need to be done at the very first if you're doing setting up your site to have them as pages, which is a little bit structurally technically different than writing it. If you can do that, I do think that Google sees them as a little bit more authority than a blog post because blog posts is using all your general information and your pages are specifically laid out. But if you've written a big chunk of content and it's in a pillar or it's in a blog post, just keep adding to that blog post. It will rank and bring in those keywords for that post. I've seen it too. Got it. Okay. So what about having like a content table of contents? I think maybe I've heard you talk about that before. But I also have a client who said, should I, should we have that topic cluster available on one page so that people can click to each blog post that support this topic or not? Is that not necessary? What do you have a suggestion for that? Sometimes it's determined by the theme that they're using. Some of the newer themes are laying that out more 
clearly already. Mm-hmm. So the older ones don't, and then you're manually having to do that. But I, what I've found is there are some topics where they'll come from Google, they'll find the post, and they may click through to a, one more post or so. That's usually one and a half pages of what most people view. So having a list of, this is everything about the topic, most of your readers are not going to sit there and read five blog posts of information so that they can be well knowledge grounded in that topic. They're usually going to come from Google. They're going to read one post, maybe another post, and then they're going to be gone. Now, on your end, what I do recommend doing is interlinking all of those so that as Google crawls through it, it sees all of these are linked together on decluttering. All your decluttering posts are linked because it follows it. And I think that's even more important than necessarily having it laid out for your readers because your readers, people want things fast. They want the answer and then they want to go. But for Google, you do want that linked together. Men mentioned like we'll want things fast for sure. Something I've heard about recently is, and I can't remember where I heard it, who I heard it from, but they were talking about having at the top of their blog post how many minutes it might take someone to read. Is that a practice that you recommend? It's available. I don't know that it's necessarily changed my mind on whether I'm going to read something or not. I do know, even from using Hotjar or whatever, to see where people are reading. People read and click a lot of times on your headings. So make sure your headings are there. When you're finished writing a post, read through it with the headings only and see if it makes sense. If there's information missing, go back and add some headings because people skim, people slide fast on their phone, but they should be able to get the gist of it and then find that particular part that actually answers their specific question. I 100% agree. All right. So we got to give B her flowers on that one because she's talked about that before. But I have a follow-up question then in terms of e-commerce. The biggest question I get from everybody is where does this convert? How is this going to make me money? How is this going to convert to more sales? And I know your approach is a little bit different because it's more AdSense and Mediavine or whatever. But if you've ever worked with an e-commerce seller or someone who's actually trying to get an opt-in or an email address from a site visitor, do you have any tips on getting that conversion? In those instances, I would have to ask them, where does this fall in the funnel? And when you're doing your keyword research, you're looking at, is this post brand new general awareness that my business even exists? Or is this someone searching specifically for my product? They know about me. They're already trying to learn more. Or is this a Nike alternative kind of a question where they're very close to purchasing? When people are comparing different uh, kinds of products, that's a bottom of the funnel keyword question. So knowing where your keyword falls in the funnel is really important for what kind of conversion they're going to make at that specific juncture. If it's general awareness and like they just found you 
randomly, you know, nothing about your business or your products, they're probably not going to convert. So putting a really hard buy my product call to action may not be your best option. And that's maybe why it's a lower conversion. But I think you need to have all of those parts of it in your blog topics and your strategy in order to be at the top working on just email signups. And that works best when you give them something very specific that's free to get them on your email list. And then you build the trust and then you talk about your product. And then they say on average, it takes people 17 times now to hear about you in order to convert to a purchase. And I think in our our digital age, that number is going up because there's so much more information coming people. Okay. I just have to throw a wrench in that statistic because GA4 gave me a conversion insight for my personal e-commerce site. And it said that it took seven. Seven. Oh, good. So you're still at seven. So yeah. So that was pretty exciting. And it really made me rethink my strategy because I was like, okay, if it's seven, then what are the seven? I know Uh, the blog is one. I know that Pinterest is another. And so it's okay. Then Facebook and some retargeting ads that I'm running on Facebook is another. So I love those insights because then it helps you think, okay, how can I get back in front of that person X number of times? And see, that is one of the things G4 is getting more granular. I think pretty much everyone hates it right now because there's such a learning curve to it. But once we get over the, I don't want to change and get into it and see how much more data they're giving, especially on the e-commerce side of things, like that's why they built it mm-hmm. for e-commerce and being able to track those events more carefully. I think people are eventually going to really like it because you can see more granular how it's affecting me and tracking. Yeah. I think both Crystal and I really like GA4, but it is, we ha- I know we've heard people don't love it, but you brought up tracking, the magical word. And I know we wanted to talk about that today. So do you have certain programs you like using or is there a way that someone listening could learn to track whatever right. they need to track? Tell us all right. the things. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think tracking is one of the most important parts of blogging. And being a business owner, because you can't improve what you don't track. And when you track it, if you're meeting the goal that you've set or if you're falling below it, it's like a basketball game. We know who's winning because there's a scoreboard. It's the same thing in your business. If you're not actually tracking certain metrics, you don't know if it's working or not. And maybe you're completely wasting your time by doing certain parts of your business because they're just not doing anything for your goals. I've put together my own metrics for what I like because I know what my bloggers need and my clients need. And once you start monitoring those every week, every month, you start to see where you're growing, where you're not growing, what you need to improve. And I've made up my own spreadsheet of information that I track. And for my bloggers, it is page views. Page views is important because it completely corresponds to 
ad revenue that they're paid. So we're tracking that and Google Analytics, but then Google Search Console as well, because Google Analytics will give you everything that's happening, social, referrals, email, and just organic traffic. Whereas Google Search Console focuses just on all of your organic traffic, who's typing in what keywords, how they're finding you, what. So depending on if you're looking at overall numbers, you're going to want to look at Google Analytics. If you're looking specifically at how is my organic traffic working, what are my blog posts doing for me, where's my traffic coming from, you're going to want to look at the aspect of it. So really narrowing it down and figuring it out. This is good. This is helpful. Yeah. And I wanted to say, I love that analogy. You've come up with some great analogies, the Legos and the colors and the Legos on the floor. Like I'm part of me is just thinking, ouch, because I've stepped on those before, (laughs) but it really paints a picture. And then the idea of basketball. Yeah, there's a scoreboard because we want to know who wins. We want to know how to win. We need to know like how much more we need to win. So I love those comparisons. But one thing I was wondering, the a podcast I was just listening to a little bit ago, they were talking about the importance of doing a content audit, but they were bumbling around about how to find past content. And so I was wondering, I was like, do you have any tips for auditing past content? Just understanding, okay, is this performing well or right? do I need to update it? Do I need to delete it? Do I need to go a different direction? What do you think of that? There's two different ways to approach an audit. One is going to be the actual content. If I go to the blog post, does it have images that I want on it? Do the images need to be updated because they're from 1970? What is the actual heading saying on this? Is it well written? Was that when I first started blogging and I put 300 words up and called it good? Do I just need to write more stuff for this? You're just evaluating how is this for my reader's experience when they're on this? Does it answer the question? Are my links broken? Are my pictures broken? Just like looking at all of that, those pieces of it and evaluating. Then there's the SEO side of it and you're evaluating how many page views is this getting organically? Is my traffic coming from Google? For this post, or am I getting thousands a month from Pinterest? Like, where is the traffic for this post coming from? Where is it performing well? Is it performing well? And you're evaluating that side of the information. Okay, so the follow-up to that would be, so if it's performing well on Pinterest, would you then say, okay, we need to make more pins for Pinterest? Or would you say, okay, that's great that it's performing well on Pinterest, but we need to improve its performance on Google. Would you do an either or in that situation? When it comes to influencer marketing, there's a podcast that covers it all that you will want to add to your playlist. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. They talk about influencer marketing, social media, the creator economy, social commerce, and much, much more. They cover all aspects, including the creator economy, social commerce, the latest trends, the metaverse, TikTok trends, and that's just the beginning. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. Add the podcast to your playlist right now. 
if it's a really good one on Pinterest, I would say make more pins. You know, follow that up. Get new content out there that's slightly different. Images are different. Text is different. And get them on some new boards. So having multiple pins for people to pin from, I think is really important for Pinterest. And then organically, I would be looking at it. Are you getting traffic? And here's my judge. If it's getting 300 page views a month, that's a pretty normal amount of traffic organically. If you're above that, you're going to have some that really way outperform and you need to evaluate what are my top performing posts. So I would take Google Analytics. I go in there and I will look at six months at a time. Click on six months and then you go down to pages and you can see how many pages, which specific URL is getting all the traffic and just start with your clicks set for your highest. So you're looking at your highest p- page views for the last six months and then in a descending order and you can export it and put it in a she- Google sheet and then just look at it that way. I love color coding things. So I will color code anything. So if they're getting ten pages with 10,000 page views, I'm putting anything 10,000 and above in the top category. Then I'm looking at, okay, 10,000 to 5,000, 5,000 to 1,000 in the last six months. And then below that, if their top pages are getting 500, then I start at 500 to 100 or whatever. And usually you don't want to to start with your top 15 pages posts that are doing really well for you. Don't touch those. So your breadwinners, they're bringing you the money. Don't touch them. Leave them for now. Start on your lower end. Anything over 300 page views usually and start working up for the, from the bottom. Sometimes the middle, depending if you're working with 200 posts on a site, you might start on, in the middle category, pages, pages two, three, and four that you want to move up in rankings. But if they've got a thousand, you're not going to want to start at something that's making 300 page views. You're going to want to start. So it depends on what size blogs you're working with in order to evaluate it. But. I will just do a really top tier, middle tier, bottom of the bucket, and then just evaluate what kind of content is it for reader experience, and then look at the SEO side of things and start working through. I like something that's manageable. Start with these 50 posts. We're going to work on these 50 posts. We're going to update them. However, those notes, write notes for each one and go through it. But just looking at what do you have and how do you improve it? Yeah, I think B's going to ask another question here in just a minute, but I wanted to say thank you for giving us a specific way to approach this because what I heard was, okay, identify what your top performers are, let them ride, and then get that middle section powered up. And I really love that. I really appreciate that because sometimes it can just seem so overwhelming. It's like, where do you even jump in at? And then to build a strategy off of it and have a process that other people can understand as well. That was so very helpful. So I just want to say thank you for that. Yeah. I mean, clients come and they're like, I got 2000 posts on here. What do I do? Where do I start? It's okay. We have to make it manageable. Like it has to be able to be a task that we can actually accomplish, not 
let's do the next 2000 in a year. Like this is overwhelming. So 50, we can start with 50. Break it down. So I actually have two questions and one is tied into what you were just talking about. I recently saw someone posting on Instagram about how the Google update really affected their website performance. And I know that their biggest concern was with their blogs. And I think they had over 2000 blogs. I'm going to share a little bit and I would love to hear your response. But in that case, do you think there's hope that someone's scoring can improve? And if so, what might be like their first step to making the new update happy? I think every time, I've seen it long enough now, every time there's an update, somebody's going to be affected by it. And they may or may not know why they were affected by it. You go to the Facebook group and you start like freaking out. Most people in a Facebook group or wherever are not going to be able to help you because they do not have all of the information, background information about your site. They're not looking at your Google Analytics, Search Console, none of that. They don't know. Maybe you've been already declining and you haven't done anything about it. And this just Google's like, okay, this is it. They may have had a penalty. Maybe they don't know how to look for one. So it's easy to see things come up in Facebook groups and be like, oh, no, now I need to like panic about my website. Don't. Don't take what is happening to somebody else and then internalize it because you can do crazy things when you shouldn't be doing crazy things because of fear. So you really need to look at your own information, figure out have I actually been affected by it? And then do your due diligence to figure out if it was the exact same day a Google up update happened, how long is this Google update going to take to roll out? Sometimes like it may start on day one, but then it's a 14-day rollout. Don't do anything on your site if it's still rolling out because there is a flux. Sometimes it will come back. Sometimes they'll make adjustments and you'll see your traffic come back up. But you need to really comb through your own site and figure out, is the update done? Has it settled out? Do I actually know why it's targeting? Did all my reviews disappear and everything else is fine? And it was a review update. You really need to nail down that reason why and then wait it out. Make calculated decisions, not panic decisions, and then go ahead and figure out which ones you need to update. But yeah, like we've, I've worked on a lot of different posts where it's declined, maybe not for a Google update, but just in general, you've, that's looking at your site. You've got other people that are making brand new posts and outranking you. Google makes updates literally every single day. There are just some that are a little bit larger, and that's usually when people freak out. But make calculated decisions when you're making changes, not just a knee-jerk panic. Yeah, I love that advice because I remember the first time someone said that they were impacted by helpful content, even though some people say, oh, it was a whole lot of ado about nothing. But there are some people that said, yeah, my traffic really dropped. And I'm thinking, oh, mine was fine. <laughs> it was like that with Pinterest too. Like I, it took me months to experience any kind of drop off that other people were talking about. But my domain authority did drop eight points. It was six to eight right after helpful content. And I think I just figured out why this weekend. And Ooh. 
Yeah. And I, again, I was listening to podcasts all the way to the beach. I was speaking at a conference and I'm listening to SEO podcasts the whole time. They were talking about helpful content actually impacted websites like Pinterest as much or more than anything. And that's where a lot of my backlinks come from. Yeah. And so I thought, oh my gosh, that's crazy. <laughs> and so uh, to your point, I'm so glad that I didn't have this knee-jerk reaction that, oh, I need to fix all this stuff on my side or I need to do all these things. Because the other thing that I like to tell people to take a look at is their bottom line revenue is the other thing. I'm getting so much more traffic even than I was last year. And my revenue's up in every platform that I sell on. So that's the deciding factor for me. Now, if there was a major dip in revenue, I'm going to look a little bit deeper. Right. The other thing I would say is I didn't realize that Baidu or B-A-I-D-U was a Russian search engine. I think that's what it's called, Baidu oh, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And with Pinterest, I had seen that on my Google Analytics before and I was like, what is this? And so with the impact of what's going on globally, that also probably played a role as well. Right. I just thought that it's so interesting how things that you would never even associate with your business yes. can play a role in something like domain authority. And then one thing circling back to tracking all of your information and why you're tracking it. I do like to track in 90 day goals because that's just how my brain works and that's how my life functions very essentially short term like i have no clue what i'm doing eight, eight months from now i don't know what i'm doing two years from now i definitely don't know what i'm doing in five years like those big long range planning sessions just do not work for me and I found that that's the case with most business owners too, because we do work within that shorter time. So looking at your goals of what you want to accomplish in a 90 day window and saying, okay, these are my goals for the next 90 days. I want to get this many page views. I want to hit this revenue. I want to track which products are selling for me and doing really well or whatever. When you put that shorter time frame on it, you can pivot quicker, make more decisions that impact you down the road. And so that shorter time frame of goal planning, I've found to be really helpful in business because quarters, we flow with quarters for a lot of different things. And it just, it does help you see what's working and what's not. And then you're able to tweak it and adjust it. And even if you fall short, like you're better off having fallen short of that goal because it was a goal, You've been focused on it, and then you're able to make changes for the next 90 days. So I encourage people to, to think in shorter windows of time, not just the big planners. <laughs> yeah, years over. That's really helpful. This has been absolutely incredible. If someone is listening and they want to connect with you, where shall they go? Yes, two places, my website and Instagram. I love Instagram. That's my nurture platform. I really like making relationships there. It seems very in the moment. And I love that. But it, SEO is sweet.com and SEO is sweet on Instagram as well. I always love seeing your handle. It's just like, uh -huh. it's such a lovely, gentle, like, it makes me so happy every time I see your handle. <laughs> it's great.
Yeah. Thanks for being on with us. This was really informative and super helpful. I have so many notes of like things that I can go and do now. Awesome. Yeah, this is another one of those episodes where I'm like, hey, we can all go back and learn from it, including the hosts. Yeah, okay. so, yeah we're learning right alongside you. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Yes, yeah. thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us today. If you like this info, subscribe before you go so you never miss out on something related to SEO. <laughs> See you next time. Yeah. <laughs>